this is the in focus podcast from the hindu welcome to the hindus in focus podcast i'm zubeda hamid your host for today schools began opening across the country in september this year following the devastating second wave of covid-19 by then most of india's 24 crore students had been out of schools for close to 18 months most children in kindergarten and first standard have never set foot in a classroom the annual status of education report 2021 released last month throws up some important facts about how students and teachers have fared over the pandemic years significantly there was an increase in the proportion of children not enrolled in school compared to pre-pandemic figures from 2018 government schools saw a rise in enrollments up from 64.3% in 2018 to 70.3% in 2021 while private schools recorded a dip from 32.4% in 2018 to 24.4% in 2021 another important factor the survey highlighted was that online education demonstrably did not work for all while smartphone availability in homes almost doubled from 2018 to 2021 and 67.6% of students on average had a device at home over a quarter of them had no access to the device at all the survey also found several positives a substantial portion of children enrolled in schools received textbooks throughout the school closure months many received additional learning material and when schools reopened for classes water soap and sanitizers were available and most staff had taken at least one dose of the covid-19 vaccine but what needs to be done going forward in what is arguably an unprecedented situation A vast number of children may not be at the level that their grade and curriculum demand. What can schools and teachers do to deal with this? Do states need to frame policies and guidelines to help children get back on their feet academically? Do we need to move away from a narrow curriculum-driven approach that our school systems presently focus on? To speak to us about this and more, we have with us today Dr. Rukmini Banerjee, Chief Executive Officer, Pratham Education Foundation. Good evening Dr. Rukmini Banerjee and welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast. Hello, good to be here again. Dr. one of the key findings from the annual status of education report 2021 has been the increased enrollment of children in government schools during the pandemic years. Enrollment in government schools went up from 64.3% in 2018 to 70.3% in 2021 while private school enrollments dipped. is economic distress due to the pandemic the primary reason behind this and is this also sustainable will government schools be able to retain these increased enrollments i think uh, you know time will tell we are in a period of kind of transition in some states schools have opened um, the asar report the data collection was done largely in september and early october and uh, if you look at the data you can see that some schools are closed some schools are open and in some places higher classes are open whereas lower classes are still closed so since we've never had this kind of prolonged school ex- uh, closure i think time will tell uh, whether what we are seeing today is just a transitional phenomena or whether this is here to stay now the the usual explanation for uh, the fact that government school enrollment has gone up is you know that economic issues in the family 
Uh, but I think there is a couple of other things, perhaps, again, which are just conjectures, but we need to keep our eye on. One is that, remember, Asar is a rural report. And uh, uh, private schools in rural areas also are a big range, just like in urban areas. But there is a, a large proportion of the rural private schools are what is often known as low-cost or budget private schools, who also had a very tough time surviving because their uh, economic margins are not so high that they could sustain themselves through a period where families may or may not have been willing to pay fees. So on the one hand, it could be the child's own family taking some decisions, thinking that it is maybe better for this time period when uh, you know income and employment is tight to have kids in um, government school. Private schools may not be an option where they were. And again, this needs to be studied better and researched. There is also the fact that uh, the government schools did what they could with the resources they had. So if you see the 2020 Asad report, which was also a phone survey, also focusing on learning opportunities at home, you see that government school kids actually got textbooks for their own grade in larger proportion than the private schools because the government can print textbooks and distribute it to its own kids. So there could be a little bit of the fact that actually services or uh, opportunities from the government schools was a little bit higher. Having said all of that, I think we have to really wait for all schools to open, stay open for some consistent period of time to see what happens to the enrollment pattern, whether it goes halfway back to where it was, all the way back or not at all. So I think it's a, we will know if there is no other wave of COVID, a serious one, I think we will know in the 2022 school year who actually comes back and gets enrolled in which kind of school. Right. Another thing the report found, Doctor, was that a higher proportion of boys were in private schools compared to girls, right? Yeah, yeah. I think we've reached a stage in India where all children are going to school, or almost all children are going to school. And then uh, if you look at a little bit of, you know, who goes to which kind of school, typically you find more girls in government schools and more boys in private schools. Here, however, I think that this return to government schools has happened across the board, across grades, across boy and girl, and across states, because we have some states in India which are very high government school states, and states which have proportions of children going to private school is high. But we see this shift across all of these. Doctor, now that schools, as you told us, for higher classes at least have opened to a large extent across the country, do we have any insights into how many children are actually attending physical classes? Because the report, Dasa report found that the children currently not enrolled in school, the proportion of these children was higher in 2020 and 2021 compared to 2018. So has the two years of no school led to a significant number of dropouts and how do we combat this? So, you know, Asar usually looks at the age range 3 to 16. You know, we are not looking at the youngest ones because we also used to, in our previous reports, look at who goes to Anganwadi and who goes to private preschool and so on. Uh, this Asar focuses on 14 to 16. Now, we are really not capturing the higher age range, which is in high school. And in many cases, high schools have opened 
much earlier than the middle schools or the lower schools. Let us say that, you know, in sort of technical terms, your distribution is truncated at 16 because you could still be in class 8 and 16. So we don't know what is happening. We don't know from Asar about what is happening to 9th, 10th, you know, 11th, 12th. But in the age range that Asar does look at, you see a higher proportion of younger kids who are not enrolled. And to me, that is really a transitory phenomenon. I think parents are just waiting for schools to actually open before they enroll the really little ones. Because it seems like, you know, it's a bit of a waste to enroll them when schools are still closed. Uh, but we'll know. We'll know again. We need to have schools open. We need to have schools open and stay open for a consistent period of time. We need teachers to be coming, which I think they have been. But uh, I think we still need to see teachers are coming continuously. And that's when attendance will begin to rise for the younger kids. Right. Could there be a child labor factor in this, doctor? See, the right now, the age distribution that we are able to capture in Asar is 5 to 16 with a, with a higher, relatively higher proportion of the youngest kids still not enrolled. So the child labor doesn't come from kids who are 5 and 6 years old. Right. You know, if you're going to use children to help you with your farming or with your shopkeeping or with anything else, you will use the older kids who are actually capable of doing a day's work. So, you know, we don't see... Now, remember, enrollment is not the same as attendance. So when schools open, you'll have to track attendance because your name being in the school is very useful for accessing a lot of entitlements and other things. But it, attendance is what is needed as a kind of prerequisite to learning. So you could be enrolled in school, high enrollment rates, but even pre-COVID, we had a variation of attendance rates across India on any given day, with some states where the enrollment and attendance was quite similar, and other states where enrollment and attendance were far apart. Attendance is what we need to have our eyes on. So there needs to be a concentrated effort from the education departments of various states to make sure attendance is remains high. Yes, yes. And you track it and you follow it. So if you see in any school that uh, some kids are consistently not coming, then you need to, you know, talk to their parents, go to their, you know, mohallas and see what can be done to allow the ch children to come. Doctor, one of the things that the report also found was that smartphone use increased substantially during the pandemic. On average, 67.6% of students enrolled in government and private schools had a smartphone at their homes in 2021, compared to only 36.5% in 2018. But the report also found that at least a quarter of them did not have access to their devices, especially the children in the lower classes. How badly would this have impacted education? So I think that, you know, uh, you know whether it is for the kids or for just generally for livelihoods, for being connected to your family, clearly smartphones were a very important coping device. And so you see a big upward trend in almost doubling of the availability of smartphones at home. But I think that as you track the patterns of smartphone uh, usage, which we didn't do that in our cert, but we do that in our other programs and Pratham programs, we saw that during the lockdown, children had greater access to their parents' phones because everybody was at home. But as the lockdown began to lift and parents began to go to work, their, their ability to be able to, you know, use your father's phone or your mother's phone began to drop. 
And so I think that that 25% that you see in this year's asset is the fact that there is a smartphone at home and parents are using it. But if your dad comes home at 10 at night, then that's the only time at which you can get to what is inside his phone for you. Uh, and so, you know, obviously, I think uh, parents take older children's educational needs more seriously. You know, if you're a younger kid, you're in, you know, second, third standard, probably parents feel that, you know, whatever is coming on the WhatsApp or SMS is not that important. The, I think the main point to make from the finding in Assad is just because India has high smartphone penetration does not necessarily mean that there is universal access of children to the smartphone. And I think we didn't ask, but we probably should have, that, uh, you know, when do you access your smartphone? Because I think it's different from accessing it at 10 in the morning, 2 in the afternoon versus 10 at night when everyone is tired and, uh, you know, difficult to study at that stage. So smartphones are a, certainly a feature of the education landscape. But how long are children able to be on it? What if there are three children in the household? What if the parent works far away and only comes home late at night? So I think these are all things to be considered when you had strategies that were completely only pinned on smartphones. Dr. One of the things we spoke about last year during our podcast between the first and second waves of the pandemic was the necessity for schools to ensure that children, many of whom have not been to a classroom for close to two years, are taught at the level that they are at right now rather than what the curriculum dictates. Could you talk to us about this a little bit? Are schools beginning to do this or do states need to frame guidelines for revised curriculums focusing on the fundamentals? So I think that you see again, you know, we are a big country with different, uh, you know, uh, responses to the current situation. We are seeing it in the school reopening. Some have opened, uh, you know, very quickly and some are really taking their time. And so in that as well, I would say that in the rush to open schools and bring children back to school, the firstly, the, you know, how you're going to teach and who you're going to teach has also become quite mixed because it's not unusual to say that, uh, you know, let's say primary school is open, but only half the kids come today and half the kids come tomorrow. And then of the half that come today, who hasn't come and how do I reach that one uh, is actually a lot more complicated than pre-COVID when everybody came and then in lockdown when nobody came. So you've got to be a very vigilant school and a vigilant teacher to really track who's coming, who do you want should come at what time and how varied is the response to that as different from whatever you had planned, right? So if I had planned as a previous, uh, in my, you know, pre-COVID times, that I would take this lesson and teach it to the whole class. Today, I'm having to break this up into four different parts because I have two halves of children coming at different times. And inside that half, there may be half of the half that doesn't come today. So how do I help them? So I would say the teaching situation has also become a little bit complicated. Uh, urban schools who are allowing children to still do online. Now the teacher has to do face-to-face -face and online all at the same time. So pressures on this kind of teaching is, I think, quite high. So that's on the teaching side. But what are we teaching, right? And I can see in many different state governments that they realize that kids have been gone for a long time. So we need to start at a different place from where the curriculum for that grade would have started. But typically, many states are doing sort of a one grade lower, 
or lightening the curriculum or you know teaching less chapters things like this but if you looked at the pre covid data for even from usr we can see that already even in third standard you know less than 30% of kids in india are at grade level and this is a big large rural sample including private schools doctor you were telling me about the kinds of pressures teachers are facing uh because of the new situation that the pandemic has created uh, that they have to split classes uh, teach the same material to four different batches for instance you were telling me about how the focus needs to be even if it is one grade lower on teaching the child the fundamentals could you talk to us a little bit more about that yeah so i was saying if we look at data from before covid struck if i look at the usr 2018 data and of course there's variations across states but overall we find that in rural india only about 30% of kids are at grade level even in class 3 which means that in the first couple of years of school you've already left like a huge chunk of children behind so already even before we had covid and school closures you really needed to put everything aside and help the children pick up fundamentals the foundational skills of reading math comprehension and so on so that they could cope with the textbooks and with whatever curriculum material they had then along comes covid schools closed for you know almost two years a uh, lot of problems in the community and at home where probably you didn't get even the attention you could have gotten from your parents and uh, you know you're likely to be uh, you know the situation was bad to begin with and now you're likely to have become worse and kids who were already disadvantaged have probably become even more so so we were able to do one assessor of the you know assessment type the you know the our usual type which is to say uh, doing the reading assessment and the math assessment we were able to do it in karnataka before the second wave struck and you see in the karnataka results that if i compare the levels of reading of say class 3 or class 5 or any class they are quite similar in 2014 2016 2018 and then there's a big drop for 2020 so that you know the the level that i was talking about uh, you know for class 3 uh, today or to, not even today this is before the second wave it's considerably lower than 30% that we saw before now if i go back after this further 6 months and this time the wave left a lot of health issues behind as well right although children did not get sick in a big way lot of people in the family got really sick so we have just completed a assessor of the assessment type in chatisgarh the results are being analyzed west bengal assessor is happening as we speak and i think by january we will have at least three states that we can look at to really understand you know where is it that we should begin my own feeling is that you should put at least for an hour or two a day textbooks for the grade aside have teachers assess kids in a very simple way we naturally would say use the assert tool because it's a very simple tool to use doesn't take time but gives you a good sense of the distribution of kids in your class and start with you know the the basic start where the child is if the child can't read words start there child can't recognize numbers start there and not worry about the grade the child is in because if you start where the child is not just lower one year or lighten the curriculum or all those things but if you start where the child is today and do the appropriate things 
kids can pick up very quickly. So you don't need to be, this is not a temp, you know, this is not a permanent situation that you have kids who have, uh, you know, got stuck and they can't get out. But you have to unstick yourself as a teacher or as a school system from the, you know, grip that the curriculum has on us and say, I'm going to put that aside and start with the kids. Does this need state level intervention, doctor? Will this be better if the state has a policy towards this? Absolutely. And I'm saying the state, it's not like the states are not thinking, but they're not thinking deeply enough. There are states in which they've already planned a, a minus year, okay, or a zero year. But I think that you need to not just adjust your curriculum. I think what you need to do is to look at the kids, understand the distribution of the kids and start where the kids are. So if there are states like, for example, Karnataka has run in the past a teaching at the right level program, which they call Odu Karnataka. And Pratham, you know, we work with them uh, to set it up. And they've been actually waiting through the school closures for opening schools when they can go back and do exactly what I'm talking about. And they're right now in the preparation for doing that. Delhi, uh, the Delhi government, of course, has large number of uh, schools which are, uh, you know, sixth and above. But they, they, are, they have also launched what they call Mission Bunyad, which is a form of teaching at the right level to do deal with this problem, not just the lowering of the curriculum, but a starting where the kids are. So we see states who are, who are actually going all the way here. I, there are states in the past who've done teaching at the level, teaching at the right level programs quite successfully. But I think that this whole schools being closed, having to organize the, all these online things, difficulties of reopening schools, of, you know, doing all this batching stuff has got everyone very caught up in just the, you know, the very fact of opening schools. But now maybe the time to think about now, you know, the process of opening schools is clear. Touch wood, we've not had a very bad situation again. Hopefully it will stay like that. And now we can think about how do we make this teaching learning process much more aligned to the needs of the child. So this means there could be a lot of kids of the same age who are at very varying different levels. Correct, correct. We had that before and we'll probably have that even more now. I mean, you'll have a whole mixture of kids, right? But the way the teaching at the right level approach works is to say, I mean, just imagine, I mean, if we were actually face-to-face, -face, I could have shown this to you on a piece of paper, but imagine that every school system is organized by rows and each row is an age and a grade. Then think about bringing in columns where each column is a level. So let's say the typical ASAR report table says first column is beginner, where you're not even able to recognize letters. Then you're able to recognize letters, but not words. Then you have a word column of kids who can read words, but not sentences. And then we do a para, which is a grade one, standard one kind of level and a standard two. So there are five levels, let's say, according to the ASAR tool. So you have three rows and five columns. All that teaching at the right level is saying is that in every one of those rows, you have a whole variety. So rather than operate as a row, operate as a column. It's the same teachers, same children, same school. You're just no extra resources. You're just twisting around, pivoting from where you are to say that if there are three teachers in grades three, four, and five, one teacher will, for one hour a day, teach the kids who are still at beginner level or letter level. One teacher will work with the kids who are at word level to help them to go higher. And the third teacher will teach children who are already reading to maybe get better. Now, when you do this, you actually see significant change because the kids respond to the fact 
that it, it's like you know when you are ill if you're diagnosed properly you respond very well to the medicine and you recover quickly but if you're not diagnosed properly and you're given a medicine that doesn't suit you then recovery you know obviously is not possible so it's very i think it's a very common sense thing you spoke to us a little bit about the difficulties teachers are facing um dr rukmini and a lot even the report found that the most commonly reported challenge amongst teachers was that children were unable to catch up with their curriculums do do teachers need more support from school managements and from and from state level authorities yes i think that you know you're coming into a very difficult situation so from academic help of the type that i'm describing and a state authority being brave enough to say put aside your curriculum let's go to the children let's figure out where they are at and allow teachers to actually teach those kids in that way now the what i described to you that we are very used to the row system of education right so you're a standard 3 teacher you're a standard 4 teacher you're a standard 5 teacher even though you're standard 5 may have children who are not even at standard 1 level instead of that if the system is brave enough to say for a short period of time whether in the day or in the next few months i will take that one hour and take all the children who are at beginner level whether they are in class 3 or class 4 or class 5 and teach them together i'll get them to move but you see it requires this moving away from this age grade linear way in which we think about education and the funny thing is we needed to do this even before but there perhaps there wasn't the urgency or there wasn't a big push but now with covid and with school closure this may be the time to what i feel is like seize the moment do what you should have done earlier but now you have a rationale for why to do it and just it's you're not adding resources you're just organizing people and time and goals in a different way than you were before doctor one last question before we log off Hybrid schooling has been the catchword for the last year and a half to combine online and offline learning in order to make the best use of both systems. Do you think that this will work going forward or are physical classes the best way for young children to learn? So I think look one way is to say that you know this technology was the hallmark of what we did. Another way to look at the same situation is to say a lot of new participants and a lot of new modes came into the picture so you know this hybrid the hybrid other than the sort of urban and elite schools who were doing online lessons where the child was left alone with the device and the teacher at the other end of the you know broadcast was actually talking live to the child this uh, you know this kind of a setting was only for you know very small proportion of all of india's children but if you had a phone on which you were sending messages and worksheets and what not you actually engage the parent willy nilly you engage the parent so it was not just remote learning and digital content but there was the receiver was actually someone in the household who got involved in the child's learning and not just in the child's schooling i think that part of the family participation i would definitely like should remain and be strengthened and grow over time because we do have families who can help we saw from our asset results that there are un- you know families where the education level is very low who also put in a lot of effort uh, you know and time into helping their children now through uh, you know the phone or through whatever the remote mechanism may be you were able to reach parents quite easily all the time so i think that feature should also be there 
And finally, I think that if we do have technology, technology should enable us to do things that you can't do face to face. So, for example, if I do have, you know, some kids in my class who are still struggling with reading words, but most of them have gone ahead. Is there something that I can do as homework or as extra support that helps to build that part so that in the meanwhile, I can focus on the other kids who are moving in a kind of expected way? So I feel like we should not think of technology just replacing the teacher. I think you should think about technology as a very flexible aid to what you can do with human interaction and use it in that way. So hybrid should really mean the eight should come from human beings and the rest can come from technology. But over and over again, we see that the, uh, the appropriate combination of the two, you know, is what can take you further, not doing you know, one or the other. But school is much more about socialization, learning how to cope with other children, etc. as well, isn't it? Absolutely. And so, you know, you can replace the algebra with the, with the technology, but uh, you can't replace friendship. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe kids are connecting to each other through, you know, remote means. But I still think you can't play cricket on by remote. You have to be together. You have to do things in different, uh, you know, different ways. And I think one of the things that both teachers and children have really missed during this time is the social interaction. I remember having a conversation with a whole group of teachers during the second wave. And one of the teachers said, you know, I miss the sound of assembly. I miss the sound of lots of kids together. And I've heard kids saying that they miss their teachers because even on a, you know, online, you know, video class, you know, I heard these kids saying that, you know, I this is today's teacher, but I miss my last year's teacher because I can't see her and she doesn't come to teach me. So I think, you know, we really, we need the whole thing. You need the academics, you need the friendships, you need the social interaction, you need the fighting on the school playground, you need the scribbling in the classroom, you need it all. And in addition, there could be some things that you do with technology that you've learned to do today that, you know, we didn't know how to do before. So I think we need, you know, we need it all and we need it all even more today than perhaps we did before. Right. Thank you so much for speaking to us today, Dr. Rukmini. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.